Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host and sports writer for the LSJ, joined by free beat writer Chris Solari and LSJ sports columnist Graham Couch. Gentlemen, first off, I want to say congratulations that you might have been one of the only few people who did not get yelled at uh, by Mel Tucker either Saturday or today. I didn't think it was as yelly as, as other people did. I don't, I don't know where that's coming from. I mean, he was animated. Um, he got a little animated today, got really animated Saturday. And and I thought that was big for just the sense that we have not seen him angry at his team until now. Because the Rutgers game, I mean, it was there was a surprising calm. It was the turnovers. It was the start. He, was, he wasn't disappointed, I don't think, in their effort. He was I mean, not as pleased in their execution. But this was, this was different. Yeah, I, I think partly because what you saw against Michigan – set a new bar, right? Um, you had you had the struggles against Rutgers, but you also saw, showed positives of moving the ball, uh, of kind of settling in after those first couple possessions and, and really playing good defense. You didn't see that against Iowa. And, and basically, uh, on Tuesday, Mel Tucker, after watching the film, called out pretty much everybody on the team, uh, offense, defense, special teams. When a coach says that we didn't see anybody who played at a high level, well, that's a problem, and that's that's an effort issue. And and he also made sure to put the coaches in on that as well because, you know, listen, you, you put the bar out there now that you can go and beat a, a quality opponent on the road at Michigan, um, and then you came back and, and had that letdown against Iowa. So I think that inconsistency that, that Tucker saw from week two to week three was more, uh, more of the issue maybe than and, – and the regression like we talked about on, on Saturday, Graham – um, you know, that, that to me was the, the big issue and frustration with him. We will come yeah. back. Oh, go ahead, Graham. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Phil. Sorry. I was going to say, we will come back to all that later in the podcast. Uh, today's topics for us, we're going to talk about the news yesterday about Tom Izzo revealing that he has been, uh, he has tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, Nat basketball signing day is tomorrow, and we'll talk a little bit about Michigan State's recruits. And Michigan State football has also been very busy on the recruiting front. They've had four commits over the past 48 hours, including three in the past 24. So we'll talk about those guys a little bit. Then we will get into everything Mel Tucker, Michigan State, Iowa, the Iowa game last Saturday, and then the upcoming game in Indiana versus Indiana. And then, as always, we will end uh, with our predictions for the MSU-Indiana game on Saturday. Well, for first, let's start with the shocking news yesterday that was revealed a little bit after 3 o'clock on Monday afternoon. Uh, we are recording on Tuesday afternoon. It was revealed Monday afternoon that Tom Izzo uh, has tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, you know, Tom was very upfront about how he felt he had taken all the precautions necessary to make sure he did not contract COVID-19, and then he still 
got it here anyway. So he's asking a lot of questions, and I thought his comments were very pointed. Uh, Chris, what was kind of your interpretation or reaction to, to the news yesterday? Yeah, I, it shows that really you can take all the precautions you want, and I know a lot of people keep saying, well, masks don't prevent anything, and I, I think that's kind of been out there. I mean, it's not necessarily about preventing yourself from getting it, but it's about trying to minimize the risk for others. So when people don't wear masks, uh, that puts everybody else at risk. Um, that's the thing. And, and, and Izzo took the precautions, and he's been out front about that since April. I mean, with the state, with, with Governor Whitmer's uh, initiative to, to get more people wearing masks, uh, a lot of that came, I think, having it, the the initial um, issues with, with Dwayne Stevens' father uh, passing away after contracting COVID. I mean, that, that became a real thing. It became a very significant concern for Izzo and, and for his program. And, you know, now, I mean, this is one of the more, I'd say, at least within the state, you know, you're talking about probably the most prominent name to, to have have contracted uh, COVID. So, um, you know, he seemed like he was in good shape and in good spirits. I uh, was still cracking jokes. Um, but, you know, the frustration was there. And, you know, as a coach, and uh, Graham, you can kind of attest to this, you know, one of the things that coaches are, are all about, and I think we all know this, they're, they're control freaks. They, they like to control the environment, control the response, all of those things that come with, with directing a program. And what this showed to me is this is uncontrollable for a coach. And the frustration of, of him constantly saying, I don't know how I would have got it. I'm banging my head against the wall trying to figure it out, but I probably will never figure it out, um, to me was the most telling response there. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't, I don't think anything surprising at this point. I mean, it's pretty prevalent. Cases are positivity rates are rising um, in most states, including our own. Uh, and you know, I think this was to me a, a sign of what's going to be a very difficult college basketball season uh, because I think this won't be the. I'm not saying for Michigan State. I'm just saying for teams in general. I think. You know, look at what they do in football, and it'll be interesting to see what the protocols are. But if you look at the the rate that shut down a team and the length of time a player has to sit out and the size of rosters in basketball, you know, you, you lose, you're out 21 days, too. I, I, I'll i be very curious to see how this season goes. I, and, and I think, you know, for Rizzo, you hope he's, he's all right and that uh, this stays mild and he, he gets through it fine. Uh, you know, and if, if he does, I don't think it'll affect this team a ton. But it is, he did say the right things. And I think he's 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 an important messenger and what's a somewhat divisive subject. I can't just divide, like, I, I didn't write off it yesterday because I was talking to my sister about this. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not going to write for the the people on Twitter, the, the, the angry minority, because it is an angry minority that are, that are the anti-maskers and the, Saying, see, I mean, there were there were people on there saying, see, I thought he was pro mask. How did this happen? I, I will say, I will say this though. I mean, it, I think part of it is that it is such a moving target in some ways. I mean, because I mean, listen, we, we've got a virus that that epidemiologists and infectious disease experts are still studying in real time, and and a lot of information changes fast based on research and based on on data that you yeah. find. You know, remember, back, it was March and April where people were saying. 
don't wear masks, it doesn't do anything. And then all of a sudden, the research and data showed, well, yes, it actually does prevent it, um, not necessarily from contracting it, but from spreading. And, you know, that's the, I think that's the hard part right. to, to wrap their heads around. And no, they shouldn't be. That was in March and April, and it was explained to them. It's people who don't want to, uh, don't want to accept that. That's been, we're, we're not, this isn't like something new months ago. And yeah, it's unfortunate what, that what was said at that point, um, you know, because because we're not nuanced enough as a public to adjust as epi- as, as epidemiologists adjust and as, 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 as research adjusts. But at this point, there is no d- debate on masks. You, you you can bang your head against the wall and insist a certain way, and you just don't want you don't want to live in the live in the truth, and that's fine. But what I think what what well, that's why it's important for people like Izzo to sound the way he did and to say you know, to, to say what he said. Um, and, and because the, the messaging matters and people get, you know, people, most of the people who cry about this stuff uh, or, or uh, think it's all bunk, you know, when you ask for research, they'll give you research that comes from a source that's pretty questionable. And I understand there is some debate, but anyway, I, I thought that was important from Izzo yesterday because here's a guy who has uh, the ear of a lot of people and um, and, I, and I think he, at least from his messaging standpoint, said the right things. I have no idea how he got it or, or actually how careful he, he, he truly was. And he said he was really careful. And I have no reason to doubt him on that. So but um, I thought the way he handled yesterday was good. Well, let's move away from that into something a little more positive when it comes to Michigan State basketball. And that is recruiting uh, tomorrow, which is Wednesday is National Signing Day for Basketball in Michigan State is expected to ink three recruits, Jaden Akins, Max Christie, and Pierre Brooks. All of those guys are four stars or higher, and really, uh, and those guys really should fill some important spots for the Spartans uh, for next season. Out of those three, Graham, which excites you the most? Yeah, I, I think from just people I've talked to, it's Max Christie. Um, I, I think he is somebody who... Um, they're really high on that, that, that people I've spoken to in Illinois believe will be a really big difference maker for them. And, uh, so that, that's the guy that I think like, like there are reasons to like all of them. And, uh, like, I think Pierre Brooks is underrated. I really do. But, but Christie's the guy that I, I think is a, um, a real, real, real big difference maker. Yeah. All three of these guys are, are guys that can play with the ball in their hands. Um, which I think is big. I mean, when you're talking about trying to find that next point guard, I think Aikens is the guy that, that'll probably be the guy to take over at that spot. That way you'll be able to move Rocket Watts. If, if he doesn't have a huge year and turn pro, it'll be able to move him uh, back off the ball and, and do some different things there. But uh, the, the big thing about this class right now, to me, isn't necessarily so much even though, again, even though they have a five-star kid who's one of the best players in the country in Max Christie, you know, it, it's what we're not seeing right now. And it's, it's what's going to happen with Enoch Buyake and, and more importantly, uh, w- with Imani Bates. Are they going to reclassify into this group? Because now all of a sudden what you'd see is, is a very, very good ISO class that will be up there among the national leaders uh, with just these three guys, all of a sudden turning into maybe one of the best recruiting classes in college basketball history. Uh, that that certainly is, is out there, and you know I don't know when we'll figure that out. I mean, they'll have to go through their junior seasons uh, in high school, and obviously Imani Bates is starting up on Thursday uh, with an exhibition game. It's going to be a broadcast, I think, on ESPN2 
but uh, you know, the FC prep is going to have a, a scrimmage uh, and that's going to be, it's going to be bear watching what those two guys in particular are, are doing, because that's what takes this class from great to elite. Yeah. For, for me, I think Jay Nakins is the guy I'm most excited about. And I'm also excited to see him team up with Bates at Ypsi Prep. Now, maybe the circumstances where they leave their high schools to participate in this new, you know, academy slash glorified AU team may be a little little shaky. But uh, to see those guys on the court together, I'm very excited to see this week. And that's huge. I mean, that's if you are able to get Bates to reclassify and somehow get him on campus if he doesn't turn pro, um, because obviously there's a lot of outside factors with the NBA and are they going to change the age range and whatnot. But if he does happen to reclassify and come to Michigan State for a year, now you've got a, a year already under his belt established with a point guard. Um, so it will be interesting to see not just uh, on, on Thursday how, how Bates is, but, but how he and Aikens team together and, and where their uh, court sense is and if that becomes a driving factor to, to putting putting Imani Bates in, in green and white for sure. Well, let's stay in the recruiting realm and switch sports to football. Over the past 48 hours, we've seen Michigan State land four commits. The big one came yesterday afternoon when four-star defensive line Rayshon Benny out of Oak Park gave his verbal commitment. The Spartans beat out Michigan for him. And then they've also secured the commitments from a Juco offensive lineman, Brandon Baldwin for the 2021 class. He is from Detroit Uh, on Sunday night, very late Sunday night. It was Georgia offensive lineman, Christian Phillips in the 2022 class that committed. And then right before we started recording, uh, Stefan Johnson, a cornerback from Florida, who's also uh, the teammate of another 2021 commit, Charles Brantley, uh, Michael Brantley, which brand what's, What's his name, Chris? Charles Brantley. Charles Brantley. Okay, I had it right the first time. I got myself crossed up there. Uh, He committed to the Michigan State class as well. So, uh, Chris, out of these guys, uh, obviously Benny is the guy that highlights it, but you got that and you got two big linemen in this group as well. So it clearly seems like uh, Mel Tucker and the Spartan staff has really upgraded on what they're trying to do recruiting-wise. Yeah, what a crazy hour that was uh, on Monday where you had Rayshon Benny's commitment then you get Tom Izzo's news. Then you get the Brandon Baldwin commitment all within an hour. Um, that was that was certainly interesting times and timing. But yes. I, I think Benny is Benny is is a big get for them for a lot of reasons. One, he had some significant interest from Michigan, and you know the the things that he said about uh, seeing the difference in the coaching staff uh, and their approach to to recruiting and how they're selling the program was what what allowed him to buy into what Mel Tucker was selling. And, and I don't know how much that's an indictment on, on Mark Antonio's staff, but it certainly for Mel Tucker is a, a big promotion, especially when you're talking about trying to lure and land these in-state kids. I mean, there's been talk about Andrew Anthony from East Lansing high, maybe revisiting his commitment to Michigan and, and, and flipping to Michigan state. And I know Michigan state's working on that. Um, whether that happens remains to be seen, but, but the fact that you get a four-star kid from in-state in Detroit, um, in the Detroit area, that's huge. I mean, cause that's, that's where Michigan state struggled the past four years, really in their recruiting. They, they, they lost Detroit after the Curtis Blackwell situation, the, the players that they were, were struggling to get, um, were going out of state, you know, the KJ Hamlers of the world or, or, or the guys that, that went to Kentucky, um, you know, that they've lost a lot of those kids to more programs outside of the big 10 footprint, but still within the, 
the upper Midwest region. So I, I think this is a, a massive get. This is a kid who can play both sides of the ball and play with ferocity, either on the offensive line or defensive line. He wants to be a defensive tackle and he thinks he can start right away and, and make a significant impact. And, and look, I mean, they're going to lose Naquan Jones next year. Uh, you know, depending on how some of these younger guys, if a guy like Deshaun Mallory continues to show and, and you might be able to think maybe he's a guy that could, could take that next step out. But, but um, you know, for, for, for what they want to build, um, you're, you're seeing the Mel Tucker footprint now. That's a big one on the defensive side in the trenches. The other guys, in particular, the Baldwin commitment, they're, they're thin right now at offensive tackle. And you go and get a, a guy who can come in right away, uh, who is an older kid who's a, a Juco transfer uh, to play immediately, that's, that's a big get on the edge. I, Mel Tucker is uh, putting his money where his mouth is. And, you know, he's co- if you can read between the lines on some of his comments, he's clearly you know, not satisfied with some of the talent on the roster, maybe in certain areas. And you look at Baldwin, the guy from Detroit, he is 6'7", 315, I believe, and Christian Phillips, the Georgia offensive line, I believe comes in at 330 pounds. So, you know, he's talked about upgrading the size of the offensive line, and he's, you know, putting putting it into practice. There's only yeah. a certain amount of times you can go guards at tackle, right, Graham? Yeah, no, they've been doing it for a while, and that, that's been, been hurting them. And, and I agree with everything Chris said. I think symbolically – it's the biggest recruit since LJ Scott. And, um, you know, and obviously LJ was part of, uh, you know, what turned into the demise of the program and didn't carry on. But at the time, the the trajectory they were on recruiting when he was the first Ohio kid that Ohio state wanted that Michigan state got, that was a big deal. And I think in in terms of, you know, when you look at the Kentuckys of the world and, and places where, um, you know, Rashawn Penny, Cincinnati's those places that they were losing kids to, and, and, you know, they've got to win those kids. They've got to win some of the Michigan battles. The, you know, you, if you lose a receiver to Penn State, you got to own your share of Michigan. And I think there's a real opportunity. That, that win over Michigan, uh, look, I, I think things get overstated too much with, with one game like that versus relationships usually. But it does change the way people feel not only about Michigan State and what could happen that if they were looking for a reason to believe in Mel Tucker, but it changes the way people feel about Michigan. And the conversation that's going on there, I think, is just as significant when you're talking about in-state kids. It'll be interesting to see if Anthony actually flips or not. So when he committed, I think he was like the fifth or sixth receiver in the class alone to come in. And I, to me, that made little sense in terms of him and, and the rest of the squad. But I think a couple of those other receivers have decommitted now since then. So I don't know if that will influence Anthony to keep his Michigan commit or if he can be convinced to stay home here in East Lansing. Well, what's interesting with Michigan State's 2021 class, notice what's missing, a receiver, and let alone a top-end receiver, a four-star type kid like that. I mean, he's, he's probably borderline three-star, four-star kid, but, but you're talking about across the street. I mean, they've got his, his high school teammate, Ethan Boyd, lined up, and, and that's, you know, I mean, that, yeah, Graham, you, you grew up around here, and, and the Randy Kinder uh, effect of, of losing a, a guy from across the street in East Lansing always has one of always has an impact on Michigan state. Even, even the Brandon John situation, though it was a lot different, I think, because Michigan state had some other kids that they, they targeted a little bit higher and Michigan state basketball recruiting versus football is a lot different, but, but, you know, there was always that question. Well, how, how did Tom Izzo let him go from East Lansing to Ann Arbor? And I think that that'd be the same case with, with Anthony as well. 
I wrote a column on this with Anthony. Anthony's not in the same league as Randy Kinder, but um, Randy right. Kinder is probably the most heavily recruited guy out of here ever. But but if you look at East Lansing itself, it's very different than the other schools around it. Like, um, or I went to high school, Lansing Sexton, huge pipeline to Michigan State. And that's where either they commit there or they wind up there, or they at least, or they, you know, you, Kaiser Reynolds, Octavius uh, Long, Howard Triplett, um, you know, a number of guys who have wound up. Dominic Brown who wound up there. You know, it's it's a place. If if you grow up in Lansing, Michigan State, that's kind of a destination. That's pretty cool. If you grow up in East Lansing High School, you are literally on campus. You are frat houses yep. within a stone throw of your high school. And if you look at the numbers statistically, back to Mike Sullivan before Kinder and and, and throughout the time, Brad Jones and, and and all this stuff, they just don't. It, it's not like Michigan State loses kids in East Lansing. East Lansing kids want out. You know. And, and, and so they rarely get these kids, and, and they just want a different experience. When you're a senior in high school and you're on Michigan State's campus um, all the time, you know kids who are there, and you're, you're just I, – I just think it, it's a hard thing to, uh, to sell uh, for a, when, when, when they've grown up on that campus, literally. And uh, so I, I don't think um, – but, but, and I don't know what Anthony will do. I, I have no idea, and, and I have no idea what sort of impact he'll make right away. I do know Michigan State's got – good receivers with eligibility left in, in spades on the roster right now. So it's not like they're in immediate need of that position. Yeah. And this was a big, the, the previous class that Mark Antonio had there. I mean, you're seeing a lot of those guys playing right away with Ricky white and Terry Lockett jr. And Montori Foster all have seen time early in the, this season as true freshmen with, with the talent that they still had coming back in Naylor and Reed and, and some of the other guys. Okay, before we move on to the Michigan State-Iowa game and Mel Tucker and then preview Indiana, let's give a shout-out to our sponsor, Coors Light. These days, it seems life forces us to be on all the time, but every now and then, it's important to stop and reset. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's mountain-cold refreshment made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. So make sure your refrigerator is stocked with Coors Light when the Spartans are playing or when you're watching any game. Coors Light is the official beer of watching any sport or any team. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies, perfect for a moment to unwind. For me, the perfect moment is when the work is done and the game is on. So when life forces are go, 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 take a moment to chill with the Coors Light. Have it delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Okay, so let's talk about the Michigan State-Iowa game. First off, number one, what the hell happened? And number two, uh, I think it's... Like you said at the top of the show, Mel Tucker is still clearly very fired up and very upset over what transpired on Saturday. Yeah, well, you should be. Um, I, you know, they, they didn't look like a team that showed up, and they're not good enough not to show up. And 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 Iowa, you know, Iowa, I think it, it underperformed. And, and this game reminded me, and MSU fans have been around for a long time. Here's the comparison. I want to say it's '98, Michigan State, Notre Dame. Michigan State's 0-2, underachieving, but they've got some dudes on the roster, and they're up, what, 43, 42-0 at halftime against Notre Dame. That it, It's one of those games where you're hungry, your season is on the line, you're home, this is it. If you don't win, it, it, it's pretty much over, and and things snowball. And so it, it can happen. It doesn't say you're not capable, 
But there were things that happened to Michigan State, coupled with the fact that Michigan does not look anywhere near as good. I mean, they just keep looking worse week by week. That makes you you see the deficiencies on, on Michigan State's defensive line in particular. Um, and um, so I, I think he has reason to be frustrated that they didn't show up. They didn't play with the same edge. Uh, but they also had some things working against them. Mostly the, 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 the Michigan, the Minnesota game against Michigan and who Michigan actually is just continues to lie to people. And so you don't actually know what you're facing. Mel Tucker, when he's angry at his team, has no idea what happened in the Michigan game on Saturday. You know, what somebody probably needed to say to him is, hey, dude, the team you beat last week absolutely sucks. And uh, and then <laughs> you can go, oh, wait, wait. I, I'm just kidding, obviously. But I, I think he had reason to be upset. Uh, they didn't execute. They didn't look as focused. They got rattled. Um, they got blown over. But I also think he understands the reality. There's there's a ways to go in building that roster. Yeah, to me, the, the one surprise was the, the defensive line, particularly in the middle. I thought they got blown up a little bit after having two pretty good weeks of of push and and really having their way uh, in the middle. I still think the edge pressure has and was going to be an issue all season. I mean, you lost Kenny Willekes, and there's only so many Kenny Willekeses that'll come along, right? I mean, you can you can try and make Drew Beasley that next guy who's going to be uh, from rags to riches, but you know, it, it's it's not that easy, right? I mean, you know, he's he's a guy that that has. I don't think they've generated any pressure off the edge. Um, you know, that, that's, that's been a big problem. And the other thing is forcing turnovers. They have not been able to do that. I mean, you have two games in a row now without forcing a turnover. Um, you can get away with it when you're not turning the ball over. But when you're turning it over three times on offense, you have to be able to get some back. And, you know, they, they were around the ball carrier but weren't really turning things over. The, the You know, the passing game, uh, they were out of position. I think some of that had to do with – with moving guys in and moving guys around with Chris Jackson out. And then you slide Shakur Brown over to cornerback and you've got Julian Barnett now coming in as a, a really young kid defensively and that, that he didn't get a full camp, um, didn't get a full off season to, to make that transition from wide receiver to defense. And, you know, now you're putting him in the nickel spot. So, um, you know, that, that there, that's a work in progress and that's going to be a work in progress, but, but you got to be able to get that pressure up front on the edge. And, you know, you saw more snaps from Michael Fletcher. Um, and I think that was a, a, a big, if there's a, if there are a few positive developments that came out of that game, getting Michael Fletcher more reps is big because I think he's the one guy, when you look at him, who, who can be that kind of dominant, significant pass rush force on the edge. He's got to work his way into it. And, and they need him um, because yeah, as, as much as Kenny Willickis did uh, the past two years, I think one of the underrated things that he did was allow Jacob Panashuk to be better. And now that Jacob Panashuk has the pressure on him to be the guy, um, he's struggling a little bit. Going off uh, what you said a little bit ago about the work in progress, it seems like everything is a work in progress at this point, and it doesn't help. The, the injuries, you know, uh, of course, Antoine Simmons missed quite a bit of Saturday's game, and uh, they seems like for the most part have been pretty cryptic about that, and it certainly appeared Rocky Lombardi, the quarterback, got injured at some point in the game if he was not injured before. It was clearly affecting him. He was, you know, short-arming and bouncing a lot of throws that he was not a week before against Michigan. I, I will note that when the few times they did uh, go deep and hit fly routes or go routes or whatever you want to call them. They see, they seem to be successful and they didn't really go back to that only but a couple times Saturday. 
Yeah, and you know, it, it's and, and late, and I missed it actually in the quick takes or one of the things I was writing. There was there was a couple throws really late when I was writing furiously, and the game was already forty nine seven. But before it got to that point, they were two for two deep, yeah. and you know, it's the old. You know, I, I mentioned this before, but it's the idea of uh, you know, if you're a great basketball player and you go four for four for three and your team loses by 20, you didn't do your job because you got to shoot till you miss. If you're four for four, why aren't you taking 12 threes? You know, and, and again, I understand Iowa takes that away, but there are certain things, there, there are very few things, I should say, that Michigan State appears to do well enough this year to impose on other teams. And the one thing they may have is that deep ball. And you, you've got to you've got to ride with that a little bit more when it's when it's connecting like it is and, and as dangerous as it is and and look it was a game that got away from them quickly but I, I, they should to me in the, in the crux of the first second and, and, and early third quarters there should have been uh, a couple more at least yeah and you know but you're right though I mean that that quarters defense that Iowa plays is meant to take that away and you got to be able to hit the underneath throws to soften that up a little bit which. Lombardi was not able to do, but he also wasn't helped by the drops from his receivers yep. um, on some of those passes. So, I mean, his, his overall completion percentage looks even worse when those aren't there. And, you know, then you, you start wondering if, if and that, let's talk about the decision-making as well. I mean, he had pressure in his face all day. And all three of his interceptions came under duress. One, was, he was flushed from the pocket and probably should have thrown the ball away, but instead tried to make a play downfield and you know, his receiver broke off the route again. It was, I think it was Naylor, but he didn't throw it to a place where a defensive player couldn't get to. So you have that first one that ends up being like a punt. The second one, um, you know, that was the, I, I don't think, I don't know if that was the pick six. I think it may have been uh, one of them, but he, he got, he got hit and was under pressure on one of them. And then the pick six, he tried to step up in the pocket and, and slide and make a play. And that's when he fell down and threw the ball and, right to the defensive player who was in between two of his receivers. So, I mean, the decision-making has got to be there. The receiver's got to make the plays. The blocking's got to be better. And, oh, by the way, why is that pressure so intense? Because you can't run the ball again. And it's, you know, Mark Antonio loved to talk about how everything was interconnected. And we saw that. And that was what you saw on Sun, on Saturday. Uh, when things are completely disconnected all over, you're not going to have much success at all. Combining Saturday's press conference and Tuesday's press conference, uh, at which position group or side of the ball did it seem like Tucker was the most upset about? The one that was in front of it at that time. Yeah, because <laughs> he, I mean, because and he was he was pretty vague. I think he was upset he, upset with a number of a number of aspects to the game plan, and and I mean, I don't think anything he saw was. I mean, he said it was hard for them to find somebody that did their job well. <laughs> and uh, well, I mean, they, 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 switched, they switched punters in the middle of the game. Yeah, right. I mean, well, you, I mean, outside of the 2018 season, where do you see that? Yeah, to be fair, Behringer's punts, and I don't know if it was – I not, wasn't there in Iowa City. It looked like they might have been win-related, but Behringer was not very good, so I can understand why they would switch if, if you have, well, yeah, the if one, you have the somebody he, on that bench the, to do that. The one he kicked from the end zone was an absolute line drive that went – way past his coverage and then allowed the seams to develop. I mean, that was, you know, that you got to put some lift on it and he didn't do that. And, and not only did, did the field position not flip, but he flipped it back for a touchdown. I mean, that was, that was and the, 
not all on the punter either. I mean, the, the coverage team got blown away by, by Iowa's blocking on that. And, you know, that's everything is so interconnected uh, in, in football. I mean, it's probably more so than any other sport. Uh, and, you know, when you have one failure, you can maybe survive it. When you have 11 failures, you're not going to survive it at all. That's funny because we gave Behringer a shout out on the podcast last week too, and then he gets, and then he gets, we get the rare punter benching a week later. Yeah. So that's, I mean that's that's the inconsistency that we're seeing, and that's I mean one of the things that Tucker said on Saturday that he said again on Tuesday is that it, it, consistency in in performance is what they are seeking, and you have to have. Uh, the consistency there. Um, you, you, and again, this is where the frustration point comes in. You had you had everything going right and done to perfection against Michigan, and you regressed with mental errors and physical errors that that uh, you know fundamental errors. And that was the other thing that Tucker talked about in, after watching the tape was the amount of fundamental errors that Michigan State had, and that's going to drive a coach nuts. The thing that I, a thing that I found interesting, and uh, the Atlanta St. Charles Nate Atkins wrote about this a little bit on Sunday, was the Michigan State really committed to their to their base defense and routinely found themselves outnumbered in the box, and I and they never really adjusted, and Iowa just seemed like it continued to take advantage of that. Was that your guys' impression on Saturday as well? Yeah, I didn't think the the backers played that well. It was weird because Antoine Simmons was in and out, um, and so it, and he wasn't healthy so it was hard to evaluate those guys the um and, and it was certainly they were in rough shape because the the you know they were getting to that next level so he's i mean they had a 70 yard run that was just a plain off tackle run that just you know the the line gets just and yeah i mean it, there there are things about that defense that um aren't ideal for facing the old michigan state and the what iowa is, you know wants to be that sort of attack um but that I don't know. I, I it's um, I would I would like to see to judge them. I would like to see them with Simmons. Yeah, I mean, you see how integral that he is. I mean, because with him there, that allows Noah Harvey to do the things that he can do well. But without him there, now you put in Chase Klein, and Harvey was kind of all over the place uh, in terms of his performance. I didn't think he looked very good at all. Maybe he was trying to do too much. Maybe he was just thinking I need to make every tackle and getting pulled out of plays and you know, get fitting the wrong gaps and a lot of different things there that, that really led to some of those bigger plays. That's, you know, that's, that's the thing. They're thin at linebacker. You know, we talk about the offensive tackle being thin, but they're thin at linebacker too. I mean, essentially for two first two games, you, you've mostly played Simmons and Harvey, Simmons and Harvey. Now you take Simmons out of there. You've got guys behind them that have not played a lot of football. There's, there's the Chase Kleins. There's the, the Jesler Botangs who, who didn't really get it. I mean, they've really, I don't know how they're going through playing a two linebacker scheme with only three linebackers that, that are active right now. That's, 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 that's a cause for concern. Yeah. But at the same point, what are you going to do? Are you going to go to a 4-3 when you only have two linebackers or three linebackers? That, that's not feasible either. So, you know, maybe maybe there's a situation where, where you move a guy like Michael Dowell down to linebacker. Um, I thought he played okay at at, uh, at the nickelback, rotating in with Angelo Gross and, and Barnett. And I think Angelo Gross is going to be a player to, to kind of keep an eye on here over the next few weeks. He's, he's, he's a stud in the making. And it's funny because someone mentioned him that it, on Tuesday to Mel Tucker. And 
it was it was really really subtle, but you could see the smile growing on his face when someone said the name Angelo Gross. So keep an eye on him coming on uh, and maybe getting some more reps soon. But but at linebacker, you got to figure it out. I mean, you 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 only have so many guys, and somebody's got to make some plays. Yeah, Solari and I have been big Angelo Gross supporters since signing day. So uh, he's another guy that the Spartan Speak podcast will back online and offline. Um, I want to go back to Simmons for a second. Have you guys heard any whispers or insights into exactly what happened with him injury-wise? I have not. Um, I mean, you know, it, in, it, uh, he, he was walking slowly on the sidelines. They have not really been forthcoming on that. Um, and, uh, you know, he clearly wasn't right. That, that's all I know. Yeah. If it happened during the game, it was early. Um, if it happened before the game during practice, um, they, that may have been also a, a situation there because, you know, it, after the game, Simmons talked about needing to play through it and he was out there when he could. Now, there, the, there's the vagaries of it. I mean, there's always going to be the vagaries of the injury situation, particularly now uh, when, when injuries plus COVID situations are popping up and, and they're, the, the, the staff and, and people around the program are even more tight-lipped to, to not blend the two. But, but Simmons certainly was not 100%, and he certainly was not effective when he was on there. So that was, that was the other thing. Is now now you're, you're asking yourself, is a 50 to 60% Antoine Simmons better than 100% Chase Klein? And I think that was a question that they struggled with throughout that whole game. In all yeah. honesty, I mean, you ask a competitor, they're going to want to go out and play, but if they can't, I mean, you know it has to be something significant for a guy like Simmons to, to take himself out and put himself back in and keep trying over and over again. Okay, so I would say after this iron game, this is probably the fourth time we have re-evaluated and re-evaluated Michigan State football season. We talked about it in the preseason. We changed things after Rutgers, then we changed things again here on the podcast after Michigan, and now we're back to changing things again after Iowa. It just seems like it's really been a roller coaster of a season. So I ask you guys, I mean, what should the expectations and the goals for the team be at this point of the season? I mean, what's real, what's fake? You know, I – I think what's real is they have some talent at wideout um, that they they've maximized once that that, that has that, that they they've got a quarterback who the jury is still out on who is capable when he's got time and we've seen that I think he's a good leader um, but as teams adjust to him how he adjusts to them I, I think that's still uh, to be determined I think it's a team that that up front when the matchup is not is something they can handle will be okay on both sides of the ball. Um, but will there will be games where it just doesn't look great. And I think we will see that again. Uh, and I, I think they're, they're, they're decent at linebacker. Obviously Simmons makes a big difference. I think they're better than we thought at second in the secondary. I do. I think, you know, I just, I think it's a, it's a, I thought that was going to be a really, really weak point for them this year. And I, 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 you know, that wasn't something I, that's not how Iowa beat them. So that, that's kind of well, where I to be fair, they haven't faced a quarterback yet. I mean, they will, not, I mean, they, faced, yeah. they will this week. They've, they've played three first-year starting quarterbacks in in Vedral, in uh, in Milton, and and then this week in Petrus. And none of them had to beat them. Um, Milton had to, but I thought Michigan State did a great job on that. But you know, that was you know that's that's going to be interesting this week because Indiana's got so many playmakers on the edge um, with Fillior and. 
Hendershot and all those guys that they've got uh, that can catch the ball. And, and Michael Penix Jr., we saw him last year in the fits that he gave Michigan State, um, which I'm still real. And I'd still love to, to pick Mike Tressel's brain about how much they prepared for Peyton Ramsey in that game because Michigan State looked ill-prepared, and I think they gave up 31 points in that game. And people people forget how close that game was until uh, Matt Coughlin's field goal with about five seconds left gave them the lead, and then they scored a touchdown on the ensuing kickoff after Indiana tried to throw it back and forth, and Michael Dow recovered it. So these games have become very competitive against the Hoosiers, and I think that's what needs to be the goal. I mean, it can't you can't set goals with this team uh, – for the rest of the season. It's literally got to be a week to week thing because this is, this is a work in progress. Um, and if Mel Tucker wants to talk about the process and progress in that process, uh, you have to set short-term goals. You can't worry about the long-term goals. You got to be able to show that you can run the ball against Indiana's defense. Uh, you got to show that the Rocky Lombardi, uh, who can hit on a high completion rate against Rutgers can blend with the deep ball guy that you've seen uh, the last two weeks uh, to have a, a, a better stability at the quarterback position. Uh, but you know this is this is going to be. You have to make sure more importantly that that you are in the game, that you are competitive, that you are going to not all of a sudden give up four drives at the beginning of a game and three touchdowns. That can't happen. You can't have that happen three times in four games. You've got to show from the outset that, that your defense is willing to make stops, that your offense can move the ball and, and kind of build from there and, and really just go a possession at a time. And that's, that, we talk about coach speak all we want, but that's ultimately where this team is when you don't have a spring practice, when you had maybe a month to prepare for the season, and now you're in season trying to make adjustments that – you know, that, that with a bunch of guys that, that you're just still learning about. I, I think you've got to have very, very short-term goals. Yeah. You know, outside of maybe Ohio State, it feels like Indiana is like the last team Michigan State should want to see right now with an exciting offense. Uh, they've looked good in beating Penn State and Michigan, and I just will be interested to see how everybody matches up. You know, I thought Petrus for Iowa – he didn't. I didn't think he played very well versus Northwestern in the game they lost, and then he turned things around and looked much better, looked much more confident versus Michigan State. So I don't know if that's just a maturation thing or if that's a situation where maybe Michigan State's defense. We maybe maybe you don't have any questions too, about it. You don't have to look too good when you're you're running for 230 yards a game as a team. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think I think, I think the big thing with Indiana is Indiana is also going to, you know, they lost a game that they probably should have won last year or at least their offense played well enough to win. They've had some some heartbreak against MSU at times in recent years. Like, they won't look at MSU as a team that's, oh, they lost 49-7, to seven and, and there's any chance that they overlook them. That, that's going to be – this is a uh, – this is their moment. And um, I'm not saying MSU can't compete. I just – you know, because Indiana doesn't overwhelm you physically entirely. But I, I, I think uh, – where I – I think Michigan State's offense is going to have to put up some real points uh, to, to be in this game. Yeah, they scored 40 last year. Um, take away the, the late touchdown, 30-some 30, 30 last year. and You're going to need to do at least that in this game because Indiana is significantly better than they were a year ago. And, and more importantly, 
and Tucker was asked about this and I think he misinterpreted the question at first and went on a very, very long diatribe about belief in your own self and belief in your program. But, but that's what Indiana's doing right now. They believe they've won games that, that maybe they shouldn't have um, at Penn state. They've won games that historically they haven't against Michigan. So what, what success breeds is confidence and, and Indiana is playing about as confident as anyone not named Ohio state in the big time. Indiana is one Ohio state COVID scare away from winning the big 10 right now. I mean, this is their year. Not, not a lie. Of course that goes the other way as well. So absolutely. That's that's the roller coaster we're on right now. So from your guys' perspective, what does, if you had some, maybe you haven't mentioned it or not, but what does Michigan State really need to do offensively to, you know, get those points that Graham mentioned to, you know, keep going with these guys and maybe pull one out at the end here with some with some luck? Well, find some running room. Yeah, we we won't know that until you know, because to me, you know right away. Can can they get the push they did against Michigan? Can they can the running game look like that? And can they protect the way they did there? If they do those things, they they got a real chance. I you know I I think. It all comes down to having a little bit of, of ability to run the football and get tough yards, and, like the, and then the ability to protect Lombardi. Because I think Lombardi is a pretty good quarterback when he has time, like a lot of quarterbacks are. But I think his what we are seeing from him is that his level drops significantly under pressure. He's not somebody yet we have seen shake off pressure and make great throws. And, and and so Michigan State has to know that too, and you've got to you got to give him you know roll get him in spots where he's where he's more and more comfortable to make the throws. But that, that I don't think we'll know it until we know how that offensive line holds up. Yeah, I think that's the big key. I mean, that's ultimately where where you need to to get the points, and the receivers got to hold the ball as well. Um, I think that's a big thing. That, you know, I thought the the running backs, it, you know, for all the problems they've had in the run game, all all five of them that they used had a catch. So they're using them out of the backfield to simulate a run game. So, so that's one thing. But at the same point, you still gotta be able to to get it up in, in between the tackles and you know uh, off tackle and, and have some sort of semblance of a run game. You don't have to have 230 yards like Iowa did. You, you gotta have a competent 150 yards. So, you know, you you've got a chance to to show that you can break into that second level a couple times to to minimize the amount of pressure that they can throw at you up front. If you had to guess, do you think we will see Peyton Thorne take any meaningful snaps on Saturday, or will it be the Rocky show the entire way? Boy, that's a tough one to answer. I mean, you know, he, he got his debut with the the final possession yeah. in a 42-point in a blowout. So I, I think that, that they're, they're hitching the wagon to Rocky Lombardi. Yeah. I, I, you know, barring injury, I don't necessarily see that happening. You, you know, the, yeah, I mean, I don't think – we don't see practice. Like, what we don't know is how close is Peyton Thorne to Lombardi in the coach's eyes, right? We have no idea. Um, and I think at Iowa it made sense. I, I understood – even though I would have gone to, to, to Thorne a little earlier just to give a different look, just to give a guy some more experience, I understood why they waited long. You're trying to – walk that line between what feels like yanking a quarterback and what feels like just doing something in garbage time. And you don't want to yank Lombardi. And, and I, but I do think this is an important game for Lombardi. I don't know that they would pull him in this game, but I think if this game went really, really poorly um, and it looked like the last game, say 
that that would be interesting moving beyond that. And, and I don't know if it happens. I would guess that Lombardi plays the whole game unless it's a blowout. I, I just, um, but I, I, I do think this is an important game for him. Well, it's an important game for him, but also for the whole team, because right now, um, you know, let's look at the rest of Michigan State schedule of how it shapes up here over the next few weeks. What is the winnable games? I mean, Maryland's playing significantly better, and they got to go there and face Talia Tangalova and Tunga Viola. That, I mean, it, Maryland is looking a lot better. I mean, maybe the most improved team uh, from crazy. the beginning it's of the season crazy to now. Crazy what they've done the past two weeks. Um, you know, you you got to play Maryland. You still got to play Ohio State. Uh, you know, I, I think I'm missing a game in there, uh, but. You know, you also have to finish at Penn State, you know, and, you know, Penn State's winless right now, but, you know, you still got to play at Penn State. So I don't know. I mean, it's a, it, and this is, this is why you have to focus on the short term, because if you start looking at that and it, you'll look at it like we're looking at it and say, boy, this, it's hard pressed to find one game the remainder of the season that you say Michigan State could uh, go and win. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's where you got to have the competition and, and uh, consistency and performance in this game. You have to be able, you have to be in it. You have to show that you can be in it. You have to show that that 49-7 is a complete mirage. It doesn't matter win or lose in this, this performance. It has to be effort. And it has to be, uh, you have to make, not get blown out. I mean, that, that, the short and sweet of it is you can't get blown out again. You, you know, and the good news for MSU is if they don't win again in their scheduled games, they play Illinois in that ninth game. And Northwestern, uh, they, by the way, is the other one that I forgot. Northwestern three and out. And Northwestern's playing pretty well. They look pretty good. Yeah, no, they, I, I do think they'll get a game somewhere because I just don't think they're. I, they have some things going for them um, in terms of you know that if if I believe there will be another matchup or two where they're physically up front able to hold their own, and if they have that. I think they have the playmakers to, to beat people. Um, so I do think they'll win somewhere. I don't know what, what it'll look like. And the home road thing is interesting, too, because, you know, I haven't factored in the math from last week, but we, we really haven't – there's no advantage, you know, to being on the road versus at home that, that, that's clear. And, and, and it looked like for a while certainly there was a disadvantage to being home. I think teams will get over that. I think early in the season it was jarring to come out to that. And that the more the more you play home without fans, uh, it will be less of a detriment. Um, but uh, it, it's a, it's a weird year, so you just don't know, and you don't know where people's heads are going to be late in the season. You know, the thing about a team like Penn State that clearly didn't show up last week is, uh, you know, late in the year when they don't have a chance to really play for anything, in a COVID year, where are their heads going to be at the end? Um, you know, if you're and that could, the same can be say, said for Michigan State, do you get a game where you just people just are checked out somewhere along the way for and, and uh, I don't think it'll be Maryland, though, because Maryland's found something. They're feeling pretty good about themselves. It ain't going to be Indiana. Northwestern, I think, you know, this a couple weeks away still isn't going to be them. And after that, now you're looking at the, the Ohio State and Penn State. So maybe a Penn State end of the year, but uh, it, it, it's a tough road. Yeah, and who knows where Penn State's minds will be if, if yeah. James Franklin's on the hot seat too. That comes into play as well. And Michigan State's had Penn State number in the past in the past couple of years. Think back to twenty seventeen and twenty eighteen. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. All right, 
Well, Graham, you mentioned, uh, I believe your phrase was, they're not going to be Indiana this weekend, so we will move on to our official predictions for this weekend's game. Gentlemen, the spread is 7.5 in favor of Indiana. I believe it opened at 9, and if you want to have some fun with the over-under, it's 51.5, and, and if you want to make a prediction about that too, go ahead and tell us what you think is going to happen Saturday. Chris, go first. Yeah, I think Indiana wins this game, but I don't. I, I think Michigan State keeps it in the in that two score range. Uh, uh, but it's going to be an over. I think there's going to be some points for both of these teams. I think it's going to end up being forty to, you know, in that forty to twenty nine or forty to thirty range somewhere in that. Yeah, you know, I. It, it's hard for me to imagine Michigan State winning it. Um, I, you know, I, it's. It's going to take me a while to fully trust Indiana, even though I was somebody who said they thought they might be the second best team in the East before the season. Uh, but I, I think this is going to, um, it, it, you don't get the home field you usually get. I, I think this is, I don't want to say get, it's not going to look like Iowa, but this will get away from Michigan State just a little bit. I, I think we're going to see something in the, in the range of, uh, you know, uh, 41 24, uh, 38 24. And that range, I'll give MSU the benefit of the doubt and say, uh, you know, 38-24. All right, so both of you guys have Indiana covering and hitting the over. So for those who want gambling advice from Chris and Graham, take them at their word. Okay, hold on. One piece of gambling advice. for them. If you want one, you want me to give you something. There's a play that's out there right now that people never take advantage of. A little complex, but if you're into the gambling world, you'll appreciate this. Look at the odds to win the Big Ten. Still great odds on Indiana, Northwestern, Purdue. And if you look at the, the standings, look, we all get that Ohio State's probably going to win it. But if you look at the rest of the teams Indiana has to play, all it takes is something to go wrong with Ohio State in a COVID year. And they're like plus 2,300. And if you look at the West and you pick the right team in the West, like Northwestern, which is also plus 2,300, and they get there, you just hedge the bet heavily the other way and you win either way. So if, if you don't are not into gambling, ignore that. But if you are, I'm telling you, there is uh, there is some real potential with the uh, the Big Ten to be made. Yeah, I primarily use DraftKings, so that's usually what I go off when I say these things. Uh, Northwestern is plus fourteen hundred, Wisconsin plus sixteen hundred, Indiana plus two thousand to win the Big Ten. Oh, that's interesting because I seen Wisconsin. I saw Wisconsin plus eight hundred and uh, Northwestern plus twenty three somewhere wow. today. Oh wow! So save you- your money, save <laughs> your money. Don't bet. Don't bet Alabama LSU because it's off the board now. They will not be playing this week, so they won't. You know, that's the that's the fun thing is that you know everything's getting disrupted. So I would just pocket your money and save it for another year. That's right. no fun. <laughs> I agree. That's no fun. All right. <laughs> All right. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore couch, at Chris Solari, at Phil underscore friend, and at LSJ Greenwhite. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. 
Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.